Next Chapter Podcasts. This song gives me hope. It's not dark yet. It's by Bob Dylan off his 1997 album, Time Out of Mind. I'm telling you guys, if if you put this song on, go for a drive through like canyons. I mean, if you don't have a spiritual experience, that's on you. It's also number 410 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh, Adam Myers, me, the King Cadougal, the King of Fleece. What's up, Fleece Army? Hope you're having a good week. A lot of stuff's going on. Baseball's back, sort of. Might have been canceled by the time that this came out. And we are finally hitting our first Bob Dylan record, man. And there's a lot of them on this list. So it's weird that we're starting so far towards the end of his career. Because for me, this is the first Bob Dylan record I've ever listened to in its entirety. I know a lot of Bob Dylan, but I'm talking about the first one I listened to from start to finish. And it was fantastic. So listen to these albums, because if you do, during a pandemic, you might feel 15% less anxiety. That is a proven fact. Music gets rid of 15% of your anxiety. But you know what I don't have anxiety for? You guys helping promote the show. I want you guys to take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500, and I want you guys to post it on your Instagram stories, post it on your social media, tag me at Josh Adam Myers, tag at the 500 podcast, help us get the word out because it's important for me. I'm trying to give Lekka raw food, it's a little bit more expensive. So, with your support, Lekka's eating good in the neighborhood. That's my dog, by the way, if you're just listening for the first time. All right, let's dive into this record, okay? So this was released September 30th, 1997 on Columbia Records, produced by Daniel Lenoir, and this is the 30th album from Bob Dylan. Following 1990s badly received Under the Red Sky and a few albums of covers for his first record of originals in seven years, Bob chose producer Daniel Lanois, who had worked with him on 1989's critically acclaimed album, Oh Mercy. Now, despite their less-than-perfect working relationship on that record, Lanois met Dylan in a hotel room in 96 to listen to his song demos and talk about the next album's direction. The skeletal song ideas were filled with what Bob Dylan called the dread realities of life. That's, That's some heavy shit. Similar to Blood of the Tracks, which came out in 1975 about his breakup with his first wife, Sarah, this album is about the 1992 breakup from his longtime backup singer, Carolyn Dennis. Despite having a baby with her and then marrying her in 1986, most fans in the media didn't know anything about their relationship until a 2001 biography about him. He asked Lanois to listen to old rock and roll and blues records for a blueprint to the raw, direct, and simple vibe he wanted. Despite once again butting heads with each other during the making of more song demos, they finally went to Miami to record the album. Bob wanted to use a bunch of musicians, often on the same instruments at the same time, because he liked to hear them all around him in the studio while he stood about four feet from the microphone without wearing headphones. He also got bored easily and wanted to move on to the next song quickly. The conflicts continued, but the results were undeniable. Dylan leaned into his 56 years worth of exploring the dark experiences of life. 
While some critics thought Lanois' ambient and hazy production often took too much of the spotlight, the reception to this album was heralded as a return to form and set up Bob Dylan's career resurgence to this day. This album won Grammys for Album of the Year, beating out Radiohead's OK Computer. Listen, I know I get made fun of because of my music knowledge is very limited, and that's why we're doing this. It's growing. I'm not putting this record down. But Radiohead's OK Computer is one of the gold standard albums of my life. It should have won this year. It also won Best Contemporary Folk Album and another one for Best Male Rock Vocal Performance. Bob Dylan is a legend. He put out a new album this year, Rough and Rowdy Ways. And we have a true fan of Bob Dylan on the podcast today. And if you want to talk about... I said, guess who our guest is, and nobody picked her, but I can't believe we got her. The one and only Rita Wilson. You know Rita, an actress, singer, songwriter, producer. I mean, she's been in one of my favorite movies, Mixed Nuts. She produced My Big Frat Greek Wedding. She's also released four albums. Listen to her music. It is incredible. And Rita, like I said, is a huge Bob Dylan fan. So this was a trip to not only sit down to get to know Rita, because she is America's sweetheart, but she is also, like, this is a good one. We really dig into the lyrics on this one, and I think that's kind of what you have to do with Bob Dylan, because, you know, we argued about it, about the the, the meaning of some of these songs. And it, it, it's with Bob Dylan, it just can go... Like on the surface, and then it can go so much deeper. And we went there on both of them. And let me tell you guys, it's a fun one. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free anywhere you get your pods. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please, dear God, leave a five-star rating and leave a review. I don't care if you just say, fuck The 500. Just put something up there. Help us get those numbers up. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, like our Patreon, which we're doing a bunch of cool shit. Sign up for the Patreon, and you can find that all on our website, the500podcast.com. Well, guys, nothing left to say, but let's do it like Bob Dylan. Here we go with number 410 out of 500 with Time Out of Mind by me, Bob Dylan. free to make fun of me like you can i am i nothing's off limits so please just okay, let's have good. fun okay, and just let's have a great time okay? i'm so happy i'm so happy that you're telling me all this stuff because i was a little nervous because i'm not really a bob dylan like expert or aficionado it's just that this album has touched me and i'll tell you why but it's like it's not i'm not like a bob dylan expert this is the first Bob Dylan record I've ever listened to in its entirety. <laughs> and that's not a joke. That's this is a hundred percent like the the truth. And this is and also I wanna say I don't think this is the first one to start off with usually. Like I've had to like go back and listen to other stuff to be like, okay, now I get it. You know what'll help you like first of all, listen to Rough and Ratty Ways, because that's so good, the new one. It's so good. Yeah. But you know what? Is, is helpful is watching those documentaries that he did. Those are amazing because you get a sense like don't look back is really 
he was so young. I think he was like 24 when he did that. And it was so enlightening to see how much presence of mind he had and how tough he was and how, how in the moment he was. And, um, you know, that's very, very interesting for a young man of that age during that period of time, I think. I kind of like the balls that he what you did in in the, in the early sixties. Yeah, he just had a lot of balls. He he was just you know out there. This is about when he was touring the UK, and he was just oh, I saw it. You saw it? He, well, it's I saw yeah because I try. I've been trying to watch documentaries about each one of the the albums or or artists that that we have coming up on the list because. Uh, I really absorb visually and reading I get and I have all these notes and I'm getting this but when you see it like when we did the Go-Go's a few weeks ago Love. I watched their behind the music yes and I was like oh my god I totally understand the Go-Go's <laughs> yes. now and it by but 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 by reading the stuff that that I've come up with and my and my my writer has come up with it's like I I just grasp it more just just seeing it and and so for Dylan that I know he's such a complicated you know like you said it's like everything that he's ever written is is interpreted in so many ways I know I know and you can go into the bootleg stuff and you can go into uh, I think I have a version of one song of his where you can hear his dogs, you know, ID tags jingling and bark. He, you can hear the dog barking in the background and all that. I mean, that kind of stuff. I I don't know. I really like that. But well, I want to I want to sing you in. But hopefully, Jeremy, you've been recording this whole thing, right? Right. All right. Yeah. So I'm just gonna do a quick sing, and then we're gonna get in because this is too good. All right. Rita, Rita Wilson. Rita Wilson. Wilson. There's not many melodies to sing in this one. There, and if they, and it, and it's also not the right mood you want to set right off the jump by singing like a post-apocalyptic, <laughs> you know, uh, divorce song. Oh um, my God! Was it good though? Very good. Was it good? I, I'm I'm so impressed. I think you should try to do one for every song melody. They all kind of sound like Rita, Rita, Rita Wilson. Boom, do, do. So, all right. So let's get into it because uh, I've always found you to be so fascinating. I've been a huge fan of yours since Mixed Nuts. Like, oh, I love you that are movie. really one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, very dude. thankful for you to you for that. You're one of the few. My, what, oh, come No, there's a huge cult following of mixed nuts. Maybe now, but at the time when that movie came out, Nora Ephron left town because she didn't want to be around. <laughs> she literally did. She went to Europe. She was so like, uh, no, I'm not going to be here when this movie comes out. <laughs> All right. Well, that's bad on you, Nora, because I, I love that movie. Thank but, you. But you... But you love Bob Dylan, and I and I after listening to your music, I'm like, no, I I feel like I can see the influence on him on having on you. But tell me about your history with Bob. Like, when did you first get into him? Well, I'd have to say, growing up in California, in Hollywood, California, in the '60s, um, I think I came to know him through Mr. Tambourine Man, and then through Blown in the Wind. And uh, Blown in the Wind was something I could actually learn to play on guitar. And I taught myself how to play it on guitar. It was, it, and it, it felt like a thing that 
a young girl could do without feeling super pretentious. Like I wasn't trying to be, you know, anybody other than like a girl singing a, a lovely little folk song. <laughs> and um, so I, I learned how to play. I mean, the first thing I ever learned how to play on guitar was Blown in the Wind. And then Mr. Tambourine Man was just, you know, I came to learn that song not by Bob Dylan, but by, um, oh my God, the birds, right? The birds, the birds yeah. yeah. And so they had a very, you know, jaunty version of it, you know, and Dylan's was much, much more folky. So uh, those two songs were big, big hits. Like nowadays, I don't know if you could have big hits with, you know, blowing in the wind. <laughs> but you know it was the 60s and people were yeah protesting and uh you know we had vietnam and i was maybe a little young for uh, really understanding that period of time but yeah. uh it still made an impression on me and that's how i got to meet bob my friend bob bd we call him bd are you are you homies with bd no I'm not homies with oh, BD. Okay. I just like to say I am, right? <laughs> yeah, that's how I knew BD when we first met. Well, I call him B Dill. <laughs> B Dill. <laughs> but so you're so but so you're you're this young girl when you first hear him. So I mean, like uh, like yourself. I mean, he grew as you grew yeah. in a sense. So so how did that develop over the years? Well, then over the years there was lay lady lay. Mm -hmm. that was like much later and there was forever young and you know he did win the nobel prize for literature and when i look at his songs sort of broken down as poetry they are incredibly beautiful and they take chances like in the new album rough and rowdy ways the first song is all i contain multitudes and that's I contain multitudes as a quote from a Walt Whitman poem, you know? So I, I imagine him to be a poetry reading guy as he's welding iron gates somewhere in Malibu. You know, he makes gates, right? You know that, right? He welds iron gates. I know I didn't know that, but it's, it's kind of like, like Bob Dylan. You can only imagine Bob Dylan sitting with a notebook, writing brilliant lyrics. Like I could never imagine Bob Dylan, like mowing the lawn in like dad shorts. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's, it's kind of like, I, I, I remember one time I saw Slash from Guns N' Roses at, at like, like at a supermarket and he was wearing like sweatpants. And I was like, I, this is not right. No, wrong. Like, I need, wrong. It's wrong. Where's the leather pants? You can't be wearing Lululemon slash. I don't know though, because so much of what what we imagine about people's lives is based on what they're presenting to us. And what I love about Dylan is that he is such a mystery. I went to see him live once at the El Rey Theater on Wilshire. Couldn't understand a word he was singing. Could not understand a word, and he was almost like. Uh, <laughs> dismissive of the audience but it didn't really matter because it was Bob Dylan he was the music was still really good but there's something so authentic about his vision for what he's doing and what he's communicating that I think is the reason why so many artists revere him and look up to him not just because of his writing and his music but because he has a singular vision and he doesn't care to please anybody 
I think that is the definition of being an artist. You just do what you want to do. And you're, it's coming from a place that is almost like if you didn't express yourself in that way, it would crush you. And you, there are no guarantees that anybody's going to like what you do or hear what you do. And you just hope that, you know, somebody's going to get it, I guess, at some point. But I don't think Dylan even cares about that. And he's an artist in every sense of the word. Like I've seen paintings that he's done and drawings that he's done and these beautiful gates that he's made. And um, I remember once going to a concert of the Wildflowers um, at the Pantages Theater in Hollywood. And the Wildflowers were opening up for Chris Isaac. And so we went backstage in between the acts and uh, Bob Dylan was there and I saw him go up to um, Jacob and his son and give him some kind of notes or sort of whatever he wanted to say about the show. And then he was out. So he didn't stick around to like say hello to anybody or, or whatever. And I, I don't know, he's elusive. He's like a unicorn. I think that's, I think that's kind of, why he's he's so important to music? Uh, you, I think you said it perfectly. It's it's the it's the idea of Bob Dylan, the mystery of Bob Dylan, the mystery of the lyrics of Bob Dylan. Like there are you know books and and for what I found online, page after page of on websites devoted to breaking down his songs, songs on this record that I was kind of like, okay, well, this is just about, you know, uh, about getting late at night and like sitting and watching the world pass. And then they're like, Oh no, 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 no. This is actually about God versus the devil. And the gambler represents Jesus and the dealer is Judas. And you're like, what? no, where, I, where'd you hear that? Dude, there's I. I'll send you the links because there's okay. there's I so see many it completely differently. I could be completely wrong. Yeah. Oh, it's. But I think that's what makes him this beautiful, beautiful artist. Is that there are layer after layer. But there. But for me, this is my first dive into a full Bob Dylan record. I do not think that this is how I should have started. But <laughs> I'm kind of treating it very memento like, and I'm like, okay, so this is where he he has been. You know, now let's go back to where he's really been. What got us here? So let me ask you: What was your first impression, and what was going on in your life when this record came out? Okay, so I guess it was. 2001 when was the year that ipods came out i don't remember I, ipods came out i remember i just remember the u2 ad do you remember that yeah it was like hello hello and it was like yeah. all the little like <laughs> like images in the background so let's say 2002 that sounds good that okay 2001 right. or two but ipods had come out and um our family was on a little vacation and i was too lazy to go up and get my ipod that was like somewhere on the other side of the house. And so I uh, grabbed my husband's iPod and I just was like, okay, I'm going to, I like to watercolor. So I was just going to be like, I'm going to get some music going here and I had it on shuffle mode. And this song came up and it was a song that stopped me in my tracks and I could not I, I, I gasped because it, I, I couldn't believe how good it was and how beautiful it was and why had I never heard this song before. 
It wasn't on the radio. It wasn't anywhere you could find. And I kept playing it over and over and over again. And when I finished, I, I went up to my husband. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my. Have you heard this song? This song is like mind blowing. I can't even believe that this song is as good as it is. And it was Make You Feel My Love from this album, Time Out of Mind. Now, nobody, that song was that song. And as Bruce Springsteen once said, great songs stay written. So that song was written, it was produced, it was put on this album, that won Grammys, but it didn't really get on the radio until Adele covered it. And that to me was like, how is that possible that that song that's so perfect and so beautiful and so deep didn't make it into the consciousness of everybody in the world at that time? So that got me into the album Time Out of Mind, which I think came out in 1997. And by the way, when that song, Make You Feel My Love, when when that was sort of reviewed, when the album was reviewed and that song was highlighted, they basically dissed it as not a Dylan enough song. It was, they called it a greeting card lyric song. I mean, who do these critics think they are? Yeah. Who do they think they are really? Like you, and uh, that's what... I don't know. That's my own personal frustration in it because it's like, why, why do you characterize it like that anyways? Because if you listen to it in context of the album, time out of mind. And the first song on that album is called love sick. This to me, this whole album to me is about a love affair. He was so madly in love and he could not shake this breakup. Oh, yeah. That to me was like so vulnerable and so raw and so deep and so out there. And he's Bob Dylan. You know, it's like the Mr. Mystery Man. And yet he's exposing himself in this way that made me fall in love with him. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan, and this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.
But here's the thing, Rita, and this is maybe why the critics, you know, I want to say shat, but shat upon it because this wasn't like when Blood on the Tracks came out, like everybody knew this was about the divorce. Like people had no idea that this was about a breakup. Uh, from between him and his relationship with Caroline Dennis, his backup singer. Like, they didn't know. So I think the initial reactions were like, oh, this is just about Bob Dylan getting older, dealing with his own mortality. Maybe he's still got some feelings of love, but he had hidden that relationship. So I think also when it started coming out a few years later, like, that's when... I, I think the the album was then even more appreciated because it did win the Grammy for Album of the Year. Um, I cannot believe that this record beat OK Computer by Radiohead for Album of the Year. I am so sorry. I'm not putting down Bob Dylan. Uh, I love him, but Radiohead OK Computer like made me drop out of college and go to Europe for seven months. Like literally listening to that in Staten Island, looking at the city one night changed my life. Um, And all this album did was uh, make me very, very depressed and realize that I'm going to die. Which uh, which is a good way, which is a good thing to realize. But don't you feel like you're going to die when you break up with somebody? Like that's what you feel like. It's you just feel like I can't go on anymore. I mean, to me, I, I even love like, the the first line one of the first lines of of um lovesick is like i'm walking through streets that are dead walking walking with you in my head my feet are so tired my brain is so wired and the clouds are weeping that is just there's so much vulnerability there like he's telling you at the top of this album i'm putting it out there people this is what it is i mean you can't get more like raw. And then he also says, I'm love sick. Yeah. And sick of love. Like, I love that because that's two different things to me. You can be sick of love. I'm sick of it. Or you can be love sick. Oh my God. I'm so in love. I'm just, ah, oh. you know, I love the yeah. play on words there. To me, that was really cool. And also you got, you have, you have Bob, like, I mean, his voice definitely changed over the years, but like the sound of it is almost like croaky here. Uh, Peter play, uh, play 215. I see, I see silhouettes in the window. I watch them till they're gone and they leave me hanging on. This is dark, man. This is a dark song. He's talking about love. He's talking about misery, aging, basically all dark, uncomfortable topics. And in my in my opinion, I feel like this is the mission statement for the whole album. Like he's letting Absolutely. you know right now, you are gonna. It's gonna be dark. We're gonna feel together. He's passionate. Yeah. He is letting you know right off the jump. Yeah, and that's what I love. I mean, also there's. Throughout the album, there is there are so many visuals, like you talked about earlier about being a visual person, so am I. Yeah. And sometimes um, hearing a song is one experience, and then the other experience is seeing it, and then the third one is reading it. Because, you know, each one of those experiences gives you a different take on it. So uh, like that, that line about there's a silhouette, what is it? I, I see silhouettes in the window 
And um, I wash them till they're gone and they leave me hanging on to a shadow. Because <laughs> <What? laughs> the silhouette is like a shadow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so good. You know, like that kind of stuff just gets you going. I remember once a good friend of mine, a songwriter called Daryl Brown said there should be like, I think he said four elements in a song. One was the visual, one was the spiritual, one was the emotional, and one was, uh, I forgot the fourth. Let's use three for right now. Three's perfect. But you want to have all those things in there, you know? And Dylan always does that. Yeah. So being that that this is his mission statement, uh, for the entire record, and this, there's passion behind all of this. I want to talk about some of your passion projects. You know, you produced My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Mamma Mia, and then you got a new song, Where's My Country Song, and that's a tribute to all the hardworking moms, including your own. So I want to know, what is your mom's mission statement? What was the best advice you ever got from your mom? Oh, my mom. She was a great person, a really wonderful person. Uh, my mom's mission statement was not anything she ever said, though she did say really funny things. Um, and I will tell you one of them, but her mission statement was in her being, which was love. That was all about my mom was all about love, but she used to say funny things, which is kind of appropriate for this album because she had a Greek accident accent. She was Greek and uh, she's, she would said this to me one day. You know, when people get together, opposites attract. And then later, opposites attack. <laughs> <laughs> She's right. She's a smart woman. Right? Yeah. And it just made me laugh. She This was just her own little observations about things. But... Um, yeah, she was really an amazing person. Where's My Country Song was uh, inspired by, you know, um, so many women I know that are like single moms and they have their moms raising their kids. And I never would have been able to raise our kids without the help of my mom and my dad. And I started thinking about in so much music, women are idealized. Um and we're sort of in some ways portrayed in a, in a, in a way is like fantasy women. And I started thinking about real women and real women that are out there in the world that we come in contact with every day. That could be somebody, you know, in the mini mart while you're, you know, getting your gas or somebody in an office at the bank or somebody in a warehouse that's putting your, order together, getting ready to ship to you or somebody in agriculture in the fields that is, you know, out there picking your strawberries or something. And I thought everybody's listening to music and everybody wants to be moved. And I, I wanted to write a, something about those women that maybe aren't seen or aren't being written about in um, music or in country music, let's say. And, um, and so I started thinking about that and uh, got together with a guy called Lee DeWise. I had the title for the song, Where's My Country Song? Um, and Lee DeWise 
is a great songwriter and he won American Idol a few years ago. And so he totally started strumming on his guitar and I was like, oh, that is the melody that I want. That is exactly the vibe of the song. But, you know, it's, it's not a commentary on country music at all. It's just that I wanted to write about a certain kind of woman that might listen to country music, but doesn't see herself reflected necessarily in those stories. And I had read this op-ed in the New York Times after John Prine died. Jason Isbell had written, and he was talking about how John Prine, when he wrote Angel of Montgomery, was talking about like, I am, and the first line in the song is, I am an old woman uh, named after my mother. And Jason Isbell had heard that. And he said, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. You know, and Jay, and John Prine was 25 years old and he was a postal worker yeah. when he wrote that. And so Jason was commenting on the fact that you can write anything that you want to write as long as you get the details right, as mm-hmm. long as you're, I took it to mean telling the truth. And um, so it, it kind of liberated me to be able to perform the song because I thought maybe I was writing it for someone else. But then I thought, no, let me be, uh, you know, the woman who's got a little baby waiting up at home for her. Yeah. But, you know. It's got some Loretta Lynn vibes, like just very strong, very proud, tough. Like, you know, where it's it's fantastic. Thank you. That's such a nice compliment. I remember in A Coal Miner's Daughter when Sissy Spacek played her and she said to Tommy Lee Jones, who was playing Do, she goes, Do. I may be dumb, but I ain't stupid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. So good. It's and and I'll be I'll be completely honest. Like I get very emotional listening to music. Uh after watching uh Coal Miner's Daughter and then re-listening to the song, I just started weeping. Cause it's just so powerful. So 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 cheers to you for being able to capture like strength and truth in your music. It's fantastic. Thank Um, you so much. My pleasure. All right, let's move on to Dirt Road Blues. Peter, play the intro. Little known fact about this song, this is the only song from this record that Dylan has never played in concert, which kind of blows my mind because it's just like a fun blues shuffle. It's also, it's a really nice, like, he went deep on the first song, he went dark on the first song, and then he's kind of like, all right, here you go, here's a little skiddly-doo shuffle, and it's just, it's danceable, yeah. it's good. Well, what what I like about it is that it put, gives you a context of where are they? He says he says he's in a little one room shack in a one room country shack. So, okay, and there's obviously a dirt road and um, she he's hoping that she'll come back, which I love. And this this is crazy. Going to walk down that dirt road until my eyes begin to bleed until there's nothing (laughs) left to see. Till the chains have been shattered and I have been freed, but I've been looking at my shadow. I've been watching the clouds up above. That is like, like the epitome of I'm coming out of my skin to me. Like I'm walking, 
I'm pacing. I'm in a one room shack. I'm looking up. I see my shadow, the clouds. I see my shadow. I mean, again, shadows. He's mentioning yeah. shadows again. Song two, second time he's gone to silhouettes <laughs> and shadows. Yeah. Um, which I always love because it's like you always think you have to have everything new in the, the song, but no, you can repeat stuff and it's okay because Bob Dylan does it. Um, but <laughs> I just, you're right. I love, I love that, uh, that kind of context of where are they? putting them or where is he and did she leave this one room country shack and now he's alone or did he go there to process this breakup yeah because in the next the next song which i think we should just get into standing in the doorway all right let's do it all right so this is a little thing i so producer daniel lanois and I, you know I, you, yeah I, it's yeah. been very i've been wanting to say land land noise so i had somebody had to really oh i love it Wanted to have a similar vibe to Dylan's 1966 epic, Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. And I listened to both, and I agree that that statement is fully apt. Uh, I think the song is actually perfectly summed up uh, at about 55 seconds. Peter, play it. Don't know if I saw you, if I would kiss you or kill you, it probably wouldn't matter to you anyhow. Standing in the doorway crying I got nothing to go back to now The light in this place The light in this place is so bad That's funny. I just love that <laughs> I just think it's so good that he would notice that you Yeah, know? yeah Oh yeah I don't know if I if I would kiss you or kill you, but it probably wouldn't matter. I mean, that's so good. I found this online and I love this. On the surface level, it's a portrayal of the desolation experienced by someone when a relationship fails. Um, and then on a deeper level, it suggests how feelings of desolation are best dealt with. And the central idea is that the narrator needs to stop focusing just on himself. In terms of the religious concepts employed, he needs to change from being Judas... To being Christ, thoughts on that? Yeah. Okay. I just, to me, I'm looking at it from, okay. If you want to get like esoteric about it, standing in the doorway to me, that's a. If you want to go religious, let's call it a purgatory. Yeah. You know, you're neither in nor out, and this moment has happened in the song where this person has left. Him standing in the doorway. First of all, let's just keep going back to the fact that he is writing about this devastating breakup and he's being so, he's putting it all out there. Like it's one thing to write the songs and go, I'm never going to make an album about this, but I'm writing it and I'm going to have it and no one will ever see it. But he writes this stuff and then he puts it out there, which I think is so incredible you left me standing in the doorway crying i mean bob dylan i just pictured bob dylan crying like how in love was he with this woman that this is what he's writing about and um i love this other line the ghost of our old love has not gone away don't look like it will anytime soon you left me standing in the doorway crying under the midnight moon 
That's gorgeous. That is gorgeous. So that's like, that's beautiful. That's in the middle of the night. That's something, something went down there and that girl left in the middle of the night. None of my breakups have ever been this beautiful. Like they're always like, <laughs> like I'm crying like in front of a bowling alley and she's just like, all right, I see ya. I mean, it's just so like. Bye. <laughs> but um, in the, uh, what I, I kind of was thinking about this song is I don't have, you know, I don't know them by heart, but you know how there's those stages of grief and one of them is like denial and then the whatever and then there's anger and then that stuff like i think this song kind of goes through that because he has that line that says um there are things i could say but i don't i know the mercy of god must be near i've been riding on a midnight train i got ice water in my veins and i would be crazy if i took you back it would go up against every rule but you left me standing in the doorway crying, suffering like a fool. I just, I love that he's pissed off there yeah. to me, but he, he would still take her back, even though, you know, he's standing in the doorway. But I think he's like, he's going through all of these emotions in, in the song. Like, it's like he's reliving that moment of standing in the doorway. It's like an encapsulation of the experience the before and the after. And there's just something that I keep going to with that doorway. Like you're neither in nor out. It's like this limbo. What? You know, if you could back it up and go back inside, then you're still together. But when you're outside, you're not together anymore. So if you stand in that doorway, then maybe there's still some hope that somebody's coming back. Yeah. It's it's about it's about trying to accept it and being the difficulties of it completely. All right, let's move on to a million miles. Uh, and this is okay. also why I love Dylan fans. Uh, so play the opening line at about thirty five seconds, Peter. It's a part of me that I really miss. I keep asking myself how long it can go on like this. You told yourself a lie. That's all right, Mama. I told myself I'm too. I'm trying to get closer, but I'm still a million miles from you. So this is why I love Dylan fans. You're gonna you're gonna make fun of this, of course, Rita, because you're like this guy. It's about it's about a million miles. <laughs> no, but is this one about the Last Supper? Um, <laughs> I mean, you're not. <laughs> there's probably a website out there that's probably got that. So this is what I found. So you took a part of me that I really miss confirms where we are. I'm not me anymore. In fact, I am not part of this world anymore. This is desolation. So now we're building off the song before it. This song is about the loss of self, the loss of material goods, the loss of everything. For now, there is nothing left but a loss that leaves the singer unable to talk about it. I, I don't know. I mean, we can interpret things in any way, and that's what makes it so good. You know, it's that's all good. That's all great. And I don't know who wrote it and I don't want to make fun of anybody for sure. But I did love that this song, um, to me, he was questioning things like he got, you know, you get pissed off and you, you know, you get, you say what you need to say. And then you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said it like that. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. like, <laughs> hmm, maybe I, I could have said that differently, you know? And so, but, and when you do when you do get mad, there's a chasm then and a distance that 
is created and what do you do about that? It's bad. So I, um, I like this line that I think is really cool when he says, people asked about you and I didn't tell them everything I knew. I love that because it's sort of like saying, I held back. You know, I could have told a lot of things about you, <laughs> but I didn't. I was still protecting you because when people do that, in my opinion, they're doing it because they're holding out the hope that somebody will come back. And they, then you don't want to be stuck with, oh, yeah, and I said this really not so nice thing about you, but forget about that. Don't don't even go there. So um, I like how he says, I'm drifting in and out of dreamless sleep. Somehow my memory's in a ditch so deep. Did so many things I never did intend to do. And I try to get closer, but I'm still a million miles from you. So I want to know what did he do? Like that yeah. makes me, I when I'm thinking about this song, I'm like, what did he do? What did he do? Did he piss her off? And she left, she was left, but with nothing but to take off. Yeah. She was like, I'm sorry. I can't, this is like a boundary now. And this is a line in the saying, and I can't come back from this. So I want to know what did he do? Well, what I, I don't know what he, I don't know what he did, but I'll tell you right now, he lost everything. He he's that's, I he feel did. like he just he's like he lost touch with with who he was. I think he lost touch with the intimacy. Uh, he he's lost everything. Not just not just you know like emotional. I'm talking about when you go through a breakup, you you feel like it could be the end of everything. Like who am I? I me and you together was all I knew, and now I don't, and now I don't know myself anymore. So, but it makes me like there to me, I think there was a fight and a fight went down yeah. and, uh, they, they said things to each other and there was no coming back from it. And he has the line that says, yeah, the last thing you said before you hit the street, going to find me a janitor to sweep me off my feet. Oh. Like, that's such a good line. Yeah. You know how much I love janitors. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And, um, and I also think that people say cruel things to each other, but they also, I, I think that line says to me, I, I just want somebody who has the capacity to love in the way I need to be loved. You know, it, it, it's clearly he loved this woman, but maybe he couldn't give her the kind of love that she needed. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, they're rock stars. Who knows what the heck he did? Oh, uh, they love, they love deeper. <laughs> they love harder. It's, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you this because this is about losing everything and losing who you are. Has there ever been a time in your career where you lost touch with who you are? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, there was a period of time where I, really wanted to quit everything about the business. Really? Uh, it, and I'd been, I've been working since I was 14 years old. And I just thought, I cannot take the kind of people that are in this business <laughs> that are just dishonest. I am an honest person. I can take the truth, bring it, but don't lie to my face. And, and I, I literally just thought, I can't do this. It was literally like, I'm not built for this. 
And that person knows who they are. They know who they are. How did you get the strength back to keep moving forward? Because you've done, I mean, so much and you still continue to. It took me a really, really long time. Yeah. It took me a long time because I lost faith in people because, you know, it was a long and drawn out lie. And it wasn't a personal thing. It was a true, truly a business thing, but um, it was so fake that I really thought to myself, I, I, I can't do this. This yeah. is not for me because I am not a liar and I'm not cruel and I can't operate that way. Yeah. And yet so many people do operate that way. Oh my, in this town? Yeah. They operate that way and they think nothing of it. They get exposed though. That's the thing is eventually they get exposed. And and I think, you know, because I've had those moments too. And all you can do is just take your mom's advice and lead with love. That's yeah, it. Just just exactly. put love into all your projects and then and the bad people will come in and then just get you be like, all right, I can see what you like. And then just push them right. aside and just keep moving forward with love in your heart. That's all you need. Your mom's your yeah. mom knew. My your mom, mom knew. Know. She, she your mom did. knew. All right. Uh, trying to get to heaven. Uh, once again, it's all summed up in this part here. Uh, Peter, play 158. Just going down the road feeling bad Trying to get to heaven before they close the door How great is that? That's I so love great. That line. This is people think this is a this is a follow up to uh, knocking on heaven's door. It kind of has the same. Oh, vibe. that's interesting. Yeah, I can hear that. I can hear that. I thought it was to me about sort of, a, you know, the transition that's coming out of standing in the doorway and sort of moving into a little bit of acceptance of like what the new normal is going to be, a, a little bit. And um, I, I, it's I don't know why he uses sort of that heaven metaphor. Um, Cause it's, it's interesting to me. I, I wasn't really thinking of it as a literal. Um, you don't think he's asking for salvation. You don't think that he's kind of like, you know, despite all I've done, like I'm a good person. I'll admit all my faults, but is there any way into the kingdom? Cause it's just, I can just imagine it's trying to get to heaven before they close the door. So the door, it's like, it's like Indiana Jones and the door, the thing's coming down yeah. and you're like, ah, oh, fuck. And you run, you slide, you forgot your hat, you grab the hat. Like that's just, I mean, that's what I envision, but I'm also, you know, a yeah. huge Indiana Jones fan. I think so. But like he has the lines earlier that say every day your memory grows dimmer and it doesn't haunt me like it did before. I've been walking through the middle of nowhere trying to get to heaven before they close the door. And so I think that is some kind of, for me, I don't know. I tra- I, I interpreted it as being sort of a form of acceptance. Okay. I guess she's not coming back. So, all right, yeah. I'll just keep going and I'll just be a better person. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm going to be a better person and that will get me to heaven. And maybe you'll come back too. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's kind of how I interpreted that, you know? 
Not, I want to go off of what you're saying. Not to cut you off, but I want to go off what you're saying. Dude, because that's what we've done a million times. When If somebody breaks up with us, you're like, I'm going to I'm gonna get in shape. I'm going to yeah. start eating right. I'm going to write the book that I said I was yeah. going to write. And then I'll go back in front of her and she'll see it. And she'll be like, okay, let's <laughs> exactly. do this. You know? Yes. So maybe you're right. No, maybe. Because you know what? And, and this was, and this, I wanted to comment on this when you were saying it earlier about the, the interpretations of Bob. I think with Bob Dylan and his lyrics and the way you're going to get those people on those websites writing stuff about God and writing stuff about whatever it's because whatever you're bringing it whatever you've got going on in your life when you listen to a Bob Dylan record is what you get out of it because it can be interpreted in so many ways so if you're in a in a life decision you know about a job and you listen to this record you're like nope I this this song is speaking to me much like when I listened to OK Computer the first time that's where I was at in my life right so it's like I think Bob is very very it's like if you're coming in dealing with like being lonely this record is going to hit you on that level and that's all you're going to hear yeah you know yeah very true yeah this would be this is definitely like a dude's breakup album but what I respond to the most in this song is that, I mean, in this album, is that it shows me a, a part of him that is just so willing, willing to say I'm sorry and willing to put himself out there and willing to make amends and come back and get her back and to me, it's a, this sort of vulnerability that he's bringing to this album. It's like, that's that's the Mr. Mystery Bob Dylan. So come on, how is he opening himself up like this? And of course, that could all be, you know, a facade too. We don't really know, but um, I just I just really like it. I don't know. I like everything that he's doing, but he says... I am gonna. Re I relive my dreams. I close my eyes and I wonder if everything is as hollow as it seems. Some trains don't pull no gamblers, no midnight ramblers like they did before. Come on, so good. That's beautiful. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. All right, not to not not to not give respect. The next song, "Till I Fell in Love with You," great song, uh, great blues song. Uh, do you have any? Do you have anything you want to say about it? Because I wanted to move on to "Not Dark Yet," because I think. This is the the jam. Do you, are you cool with that? Yeah. The only thing I would say about Till I Fell in Love is that um, 
I think he really, really gets to the point here where he's like, she is not coming back. That is never going to happen. And he's accepting that it's over because he says, um, my eyes feel like they're falling off my face, sweat falling down. I'm staring at the floor. I'm thinking about that girl who won't be back no more. I just don't know what to do. I was all right till I fell in love with you. I'm tired, tired of talking. I'm tired of trying to explain my attempts to please you. They were all in vain. Come on. It's like he's given up now. That's the thing I love about it. He's like, okay, fine. It's really over. The lyrics I loved the most uh, were, well, my house is on fire, burning to the sky. I thought it would rain, but the clouds pass by. I just, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what yeah, that means, I don't know, but, but I, I'm, just, I'm in, dude. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm feeling it. My house is on fire. I'm burning in the sky. So That's true. Just, I mean, it's so great. But 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 not dark yet, in my opinion, uh, is is one of the triumphs of Dylan's later work. And uh, I, more, my writer Morty told me that. And I've read it and I get it because I think you feel it right from the opening that this is an important song. Uh, Peter, play the intro. Shadows are falling. I mean, you can feel it. You know immediately because this doesn't sound like anything that's that's we've already heard on the record. Like this is important. There is this is something that is special on the record. Yeah. And we've had some and we've had some dark moments on this record before this, but this is like this is Dylan at his darkest. Yeah. Most reflective. Yeah. I think um this is a a definite kind of moment where he's accepted it and he still doesn't really want to believe it's true. Um, There's this line behind every beautiful thing, there's some kind of pain. And then this, she wrote me a letter and she wrote it so kind. She put down in writing what was in her mind. I just don't see why I should even care. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. Like, so now we're, we have a little bit of insight into this woman who maybe had her own, there's been some distance now and some time away from each other. And she's like, okay, I've got to write it down. What was going on with me and why I had to leave. And I don't know, there's, I, I, there's so much in those lines that I feel like I imagine him picking up that letter and reading it and anticipating what it's going to say, and then it doesn't say what he wanted it to say. But she wrote she wrote it, and she said it in a kind way, which I loved. I just, oh man, it's good. See, I, you know what, I, I think this is also about him examining his life. I really feel like this is him growing older and and thinking about not just you know the past loves. But he's he's got this dimming eye on this bleak future because like even the opening lyrics, shadows are falling. I've been here all day. I mean that could mean uh, just the shadows of the day uh, becoming night, or it could be like death approaching. And 
Somebody, you're going to hate this, but I pulled this off a line. Uh, somebody wrote, it's like an old relative at an old folks home just not having fun where they're just they're just stuck there looking outside with all of their memories of, of their life and they're reflecting on that. Where it's just like you said, like you said at the beginning, the shadows are falling and I've been here all day. I, I don't know if that's true, but I when I heard this, I, I didn't even think of love. I thought about life in, 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 in the whole entirety. That's so interesting because I, I look at it as, I, I think it's about loneliness, you know, yeah. and, and that he is alone and perhaps you're right about it's not dark yet, meaning, you know, I'm still alive and I'm not six feet under um, where it's dark, but um I don't know. There's this line in the song later that I think is so beautiful, but it's also just perfectly constructed because it's got so much great alliteration in it. Every nerve in my body is so naked and numb. I can't even remember what it was I came here to get away from. Don't even hear the murmur of a prayer. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. Maybe he's in, maybe he's in a church. Maybe he's, Maybe he's been in a church and he's been there all day. I don't know. It's too hot to sleep and time is running away. So I don't know who knows where he is, but I still love that song because I do think that it's, um, it's, you know, there's, you know, when you feel something coming on that, you you know, if there's a sadness or a melancholy or something, and you can sort of feel it approaching if you, are dealing with something. Maybe it's that, maybe it's that kind of darkness that he's trying to keep at bay. No, I agree. I agree. Um, so I, I found out you created this show called liner notes, songwriters, stories and music, where you brought songwriters out to perform and explain how their songs came to be. So being that you're this huge Dylan fan, if you could ask Bob Dylan, the story behind any of his songs, which would it be? Here's your chance. B. Dill's waiting. He wants oh to be easy. He's answer anyone. Oh, my God. <laughs> what is the one that you just like, I got to know the story? Well, it might be standing in the doorway or it might be make you feel my love. I might, oh, gosh. Only because those two songs encapsulate or so much story. So there's probably going to be a lot of detail that he could give about the story behind the song there. Oh my gosh. I'd have to do some heavy duty research if he was, it was ever. Going well, to do we just notes. so happen to have Bob Dylan on the phone, <laughs> joining the zoom. How awesome would that be? If he just oh popped up in the zoom, gosh. like, how you, how you doing, Rita? Good to see you. I, I assume that's how it talks. Normally. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next song Cold Irons Bound. Uh, this actually won the 1998 Grammy for Best Male Rock Vocal Performance. Yeah. Uh, Peter, play the opening verse. I'm beginning to hear voices. Such a long time to die. 
So, in my opinion, this is, I feel, where the album is really starting to take shape for me. Uh, with the song before it and this one, it's like everything from here on out, I just love. Yeah. Uh, but I love the opening line about Ugh. hearing voices. Yeah. Because this is now the breakup is like, now he's losing his shit. He's just like, he's, he's, he's just, like, Morty, my writer, wrote... I think this is about feeling the metaphorical handcuffs and walls that imprison us after a love has gone away. And I I completely agree with that. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because he's even saying, you know, my love for her is taking such a long time to die because it doesn't just go away. You're there. Yeah. Like even the fact that he's saying it, though, that he's this whole album is about this. and And sometimes the melodies of the songs and the groove and the instrumentation takes you um, in a way it's different than what the lyrics are saying. And that's also what I love because you're into this like really groove kind of thing, but it's also like, yeah, I'm still heartbroken and I cannot get over this. And yet I'm grooving on this guitar and we're going on our way here. All right, then we come uh, to, this is one of your favorite songs on the record, right? Make You Feel yeah. My Love that you mentioned earlier. It's the song that made me find the album. Yes. So uh, this could be interpreted many different ways. If you're in a serious depression, what you'd likely hear in this song is a heart-wrenching litany of the pains he's enduring because of the divorce and the loss of her love. But you can also interpret the song as an account of the agony. Oh, you're going to hate this. The account of the agony Jesus endured to give humanity another chance. I, I mean. Why? Maybe. <laughs> Play the opening. Play the opening. When the rain is blowing in your face. And the whole is on your case. I could What do you think? Is it is it the the Jesus thing or the or the or just another breakup divorce? I think interpretation is left up to the listener. Even what we're doing is interpretation, you know, and you will sure. all have our our own opinions about this. But to me, this is the most vulnerable in terms of melody even the chords sound different than the other songs you know and there's that beautiful um when he goes to the bridge i think it's really gorgeous you know i i, I know you haven't made your mind up yet um and but i would never do you wrong um i've known it from the moment that we met no doubt in my mind where you belong now this these next lines just crush me I'd go hungry, I'd go black and blue, I'd go crawling down the avenue. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. Whew. That's some imagery. That's yeah. a, I, basically, I would do anything. I would take punches for you. I'd fight yeah. for you. I will fight for you. I will do anything. I will be taken out at the knees by clubs and I'd still crawl. What woman in the world does not want to have that sung to her? This woman, whoever it was, I, they had to have had a reconciliation at some point after this. Yeah. Uh, that, the songs were already written. The album was done. 
but you know they got back together for oh, yeah, a little she, bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she heard it and she was like, all right, I'll go out to She's dinner like, with you. Okay? All right, fine. <laughs> Let's go home. I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask you uh, about a cover of a song you did off your first album, AMFM. You did a duet uh, of All I Have to Do Is Dream with one of my, I mean, Chris Cornell is so important to me. Um, and if you don't know who he is, then you're nuts, uh, audience. He's from Soundgarden, Audio Slave, one of the best rock vocalists of all time. So I just need to find out, how did that happen? Like, how did that come about? Sometimes things are just gifts from above. Um, Vicky Cornell, Chris's wife, is Greek. And my mom was at a party and met Vicky's mom and a like a Greek lady's luncheon or something like that. And my mom came home and she said, I met this nice lady and her <laughs> daughter's husband is a very big start in music and i'm like who is it mom um i don't know chris chris i go chris and i'm trying to think chris chris and she goes chris Elliot, cornell chris, yeah. chris cornell i'm like what <laughs> what say what and so they became friends and then therefore i met vicky and then subsequently chris so we became friends, um, the four of us. And when I was doing AMFM, Fred Mullen, my producer, said, um, God, it'd be so great to uh, find someone to maybe duet with on this album. And I was like, well, I'm friends with Chris Cornell. Maybe I could ask him. Like, like in that way that when you really don't know that that is a huge ask, and that you're just because you're naive and and inexperienced on how things work in music. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, we were recording at Capitol Records. And I I'll never forget, I went, went out into the parking lot and I called Vicky and I'm like, Vicky, I'm doing this album. And do you think Chris would ever consider doing um, a duet with me on it? And it's all I have to do is dream. And I said, but he could also pick other songs. Like these are the other songs that we're looking for harmonies on, but whatever he wants to do. And so she so sweetly didn't go like, are you crazy? <laughs> She's like, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, let me talk to Chris about that. Yeah. Within a day, maybe even the same day she called and she said, he said, yes, I could not believe it. I was thrilled. And later I said, well, how did Chris uh, agree to do it? Like uh, now that I know better, I would have never asked him. And she said, "Sure, yeah." but when I told him, he said, I don't think Rita would do anything bad, which I thought was really cool. Meaning that nice. it's going to be okay. It's not going to be dis a disaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he came in when we recorded it and he brought his own microphone that he used to use, which rightly so. And I love his voice on this song because it's 
It's unlike what we think of Chris doing, you know. It's like a whisper. It's like it's like he's it's like he's singing from a different place, and it's yeah. It was like you won't even know it's Chris Cornell because you're so used to that like wah. But it's yeah. so beautiful. Oh, oh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous, dude. Dude, big ups to your mom for hooking that up. <laughs> Dude, she was great. She's my guardian angel for sure. That's that's something that my mom would do too. I think like Jewish moms and Greek moms, because my friend uh, Tasso, my friend, my friend Tassos in my first band, Tassos Leonardis was Greek, and his mom would always just like, "What are you hungry? What can I cook for you?" Like we oh, yeah. just walk in, and then she'd always she'd always say to Tassos, "Ela, popsy, ela." <laughs> so it just means come on, come on, stupid, right? <laughs> I don't know what Popsy means, but Ella means come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was Popsy means stupid because Tasso said that, but it, she was just the best. And my mom would do the same thing. Like, I met this person. You might have heard of him. Uh, yeah. Very, very famous named Brad Pitt. He, I told him to put you in a movie. My mom would be like, but she tried to hook me up that way. So, <laughs> But that's what they do. Moms don't know. They don't know. So they're just kind of like, ah, Chris, Chris. Cornell? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, good mom. Yeah, she has no sound garden. <laughs> no. All right, moving on. All right, so we got two more tracks on the record. The next song, Can't Wait. Uh, this has my favorite moment on the entire record. Peter, play a little bit. I'm your man. I'm trying to recover the sweet love that we knew. Ooh, I love it. I any like th- it. Any thoughts on this song? Sexy. Sexy. That's sexy. Right. It's very. It's, 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 it's no. You know what? You're right. Because there's 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 not a lot of sexy like swing songs, and this has a little groove to it. Now he's, yeah, he's starting. You know, but also a really cool thing about this song is that uh, Dylan and Lanois locked horns over which of several different approaches to this they should choose from, oh. including psychedelica, country, and gospel. Dylan, who would get bored with songs, just picked this one because it was done and refused to acknowledge Lenoir for a few days after. I'm really glad that they settled on this uh, version of it because, I mean, I couldn't imagine. I could imagine if they took it gospel. I could imagine if they went psychedelic and they went country. But just this little swing, this little blues swing is so perfect no it's really good it's really really good and again he's still talking about how much he loves her and that his heart heart can't go on without her yeah and uh he's still reeling from the blow he's standing at the gate you know now we're talking about okay is that the heaven's gate or is that that doorway the doorway of her heart the gate of her heart i don't know but um There's something really, I mean, just there's an urgency to it. You know, can't wait. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. He's can't wait. (laughs) All right. Final song on the record. Highlands. This was inspired by a Scottish poet, Robert Burns, 1790 poem, My Heart's in the Highlands. Right. And at the time of release, this was Dylan's longest song at over 16 minutes. Uh, Peter, play minute seven, 17 seconds in. She got a pretty face and long white shiny legs. I said, tell me what I want. She say you probably won't 
This song is so long that he he basically flirts with a waitress from Boston. The whole conversation. It's so good. So I do love that because he's he's at some place and uh, he's in. He actually says, "I'm in Boston town in some restaurant." I got no idea what I want. Waitress comes over, nobody in the place but me and her. Well, it must be a holiday. There's nobody around. And she studies me closely as I sit down. She's got a pretty face and long, white, shiny legs. I said, tell me what I want. And she says, you probably want hard-boiled eggs. I said, that's right. Bring me some. And she (laughs) says, we ain't got any. You picked the wrong time to come. And then she says, I know you're an artist. Draw a picture of me. I said, I would if I could, but I don't do sketches from memory. And she's there. She says, I'm right in front of you. Or haven't you looked? And I say, all right, I know, but I don't have my drawing book. (laughs) She gives me a napkin and she says, you can do it on that. And I say, yes, I could, but I don't know where my pencil is at. So she pulls one out right from behind her ear and she says, all right, now go ahead, draw me. I'm staying right here. I make a few lines and I show it for her to see. And she takes the napkin and throws it back and says, that doesn't look a thing like me. And I said, oh, kind miss, it most certainly does. And she says, you must be joking. And I said, I wish I was. And she says, you don't read woman authors, do you? <laughs> <laughs> At least that's what I think I hear her say. Well, I say, how would you know? And would it matter anyway? And she says, you just don't seem like you do. I said, you're way wrong. And she said, which ones have you read then? And I say, read Erica Jong. And she was like, <laughs> this is a stream of consciousness. He, he's so good. Dude, he's just, he's just, I, he got in there. He's talking about something that happened earlier in the day. He's just like, he's going. Hey, you, do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. The funniest thing about this is that this is actually the rehearsal take that they, that they put on the album. And when they finished it, one of Bob's managers asked if there was a shorter version. And Bob replied that that was the short version. Oh, I love that. That's true. 16 I've heard minutes. That he was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he could have kept going. But here's what I love about it is that, OK, now everything is three minutes and 30 seconds. Like if you listen to music like this and even Tom Petty and, you know, Crosby, Stills and Nash and the Beatles, you know, things weren't done for a slot in radio. Artists made songs that were pieces of art and they were to be whatever they were supposed to be. And they had to say what they had to say. And however long that took, was how long it took. So if this is a 16 minute song or whatever it is, fantastic. Like keep yeah. doing it. And yeah. do we not have patience to listen to that? I mean, in the, the I last, didn't hate it. in the new album, the, the song about JFK, I think is like 
14 or 15 minutes long, the very last song on the album on Rough and Rowdy Ways. I mean, go for it. I say, yeah, tell me the story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying is that it's not it's not like I was ever bored. I didn't skip over this track. Um, I, I think because when I first listened to this, I was I was I was walking around the lake with my dog and I was just like, I feel like this song has been on for almost um, a mile and a half. And I'm like, and it was <laughs> probably but it, but it but it was but it felt right. And it also felt right with the rest of this record to end the album you know, with this song, it just, it, it, it encapsulated, I think everything. And, and then it also just shows you where Dylan is at. And if it's a 16 minute song, he could have made it 20 minutes and I still would have listened to it. Great song. Great way to end the record. Totally. And again, it's so satisfying. It's not like you don't get bored. You are curious and they are having a conversation and he is talking to me. This is like, for he's finally starting to come out of it. Like he's like, I'm going back to sort of life as I knew it, you know, just going yeah. into a cafe and chatting with a waitress. I'm starting to notice other women. She's got shiny white legs and <laughs> you know, he's later on, he tries to get away from a mangy dog, which I think is yeah. so great. But I didn't look. I, I, I didn't look into the onto the websites, but I bet you, if you go on some of those Bob Dylan websites, they're like the waitress represents Mother Mary, and the <laughs> and the sandwich represents the Earth, and 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 Judas is the is well, the guy bussing the tables. I think they might have a lot to say about Slow Train coming then. Yeah. Which, by the way, so many gorgeous songs on that album too. I gotta dig into oh, it. Oh, it's so good. Well, that's when he became a Christian. And he wrote, that was his Christian album. Yeah, I, I heard that. I kind of, you know, I, I know it's like, I kind of like, was like hoping like, you know, I could still, he still practices Passover, you know what I mean? So I can invite him over for a Seder just in case, you know. But I'm just, <laughs> listen, first of all, first of all, uh, I, I have yet to really dig into so much Dylan. So for for me, like to have this be the first record, uh, and I know it's like you have to know about the levels before to really, really appreciate this. But I I was really able. I don't know. I was no, but that's what I'm saying is that I was really able to enjoy this and just being able to to like you said to to read the lyrics to see these different meanings. It's it's so cool because out of all the records that we've done so far, out of the like ninety albums. I mean, I don't think I've seen a record so far that so many people have argued about the meaning behind the songs. And it's it's incredible. And I and I do appreciate it. And I'm excited now to go back. I'm excited to hear the 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 Christian album, if you call it. Really go and listen to the new one, Rough and Rowdy Ways. It's so good. I will. It's it's really like I mean, yeah, going backwards is is fantastic to give it all sorts of context, but it's also like um, the the new stuff. I just, ugh, he just keeps creating and keeps writing and keeps experiencing. And that's what's so fantastic. Yeah. Like there's no time frame on it. There's no end. There's no beginning. And why should there be? Yeah. If that were the case, then I, then I would never have started writing music. Yeah. Because I would have said, oh, I didn't start when I was 18 like Bob Dylan. And so I'm never going to make it. And O's to say that 
I shouldn't be doing it now. Exactly. This is the right time to do it. Sure. Because you can be creating until the day you die. No, I I completely agree. All right. I got a couple facts and then we'll get you out of here. Okay. And hold that thought because the first fact question is basically about that. All right. So first fact, despite the critical and commercial success of this album, the tensions between Dylan and his producer, Daniel Lanois, saw him take over his own production duties on every album since under the pseudonym Jack Frost. So you were talking about uh, about getting the singing bug because you've you've been an actress, like you said, for so many years. Like like, how did you start getting the singing bug? How early did it start? And 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 tell me about it. Like, what got you to start getting into the professional singing career? It's not so much a singing bug as a storytelling impulse. There it is. Yeah, because. Uh, For me, it goes back to being in the car with my parents, you know, driving around Hollywood, California and listening to AM radio and being exposed to everything, all sorts of genres. And the thing, you know, so many songs popped out to me, you know, from the Beatles, obviously, the Beach Boys to Johnny Cash and Dolly Parton and Bobby Gentry with Ode to Billy Joe, Diana Ross with... You know, Love Child was a song like, what? She did what? She had a baby out of well, you know, like, and, um, and so to me, it was really about the storytelling and what even Harper Valley PTA, if you want to look at that, you know, but to me, it was that I, I just, those were like movies in my head and I just could not stop thinking about them, but I did love performing and I would perform at the drop of a hat and I took piano lessons, but I had a piano teacher who was the kind that would slap your hand, you know? And so I wish I had just found another piano teacher because I, I really was more connected to music than anything. My brother's a really talented musician. So I then started acting at, uh, modeling at 14, acting at 16, And the acting thing just took off. And back then, it was not really, um, people sort of looked down on it if you were trying to do both things. Like if you're trying to be an actor who sang, unless you were doing theater, like in Broadway or something. But, you know, it wasn't anything that was widely accepted. So acting took off and I did it. But when I started uh, when I did the first album, AMFM, that really just came out of a, um, a friend of mine who was an A&R guy called Jay Landers at um, DECA said to me, listen, I, I went to him because I was looking for songs that for a possible little musical I was doing based on songs from the 60s and 70s. And he said, are you going to be in this or sing this? And I, I said, no. I don't think so. And he said, well, why, why don't you, I mean, can you sing? And I'm like, well, can you qualify that? <laughs> Cause it's like, he produces Barbara Streisand stuff. Yeah. I'm like, hmm, do I <laughs> sing? Let me think about that. Yeah. Um, so he said, let me introduce you to a producer, just start talking about music. And I did not realize that that was his way of getting me to make an album. And then that was AM FM. Fred Mullen produced that. And I was signed by DECA when they still existed. Oh, and um, that got me on my album 
uh, my music career, but I didn't think I was going to be doing anything uh, with it until I met a songwriter, Cara DeGordy. And she said she would write my first two songs for me because she said, I said, I can't, I don't play music or anything. And she's like, yeah, but do you have something you want to say? Cause I wanted to be a songwriter like her. And she's like, I'll write your songs with you. Because when she said, do you have something you want to say to me? I was like, Oh my God. Yes. I have so much I want to say. Yeah. And that was the form that it was going to take unbeknownst to me. So she did write my first two songs for me. And then that just spread out to writing with a bunch of other people. Yeah, completely. All right, uh, two more facts. This is a quick one. When Dylan would get frustrated, he'd go ride his bike around the parking lot, and when Lenoir would get frustrated, he would often smash guitars, uh, about which Dylan said, I never cared about that unless it was one of mine. Okay, so they had a good relationship. The way that reminds me, that, that reminds me of that line from Vanilla Sky. What is it? That Penelope Cruz says when she walks into Tom Cruise's apartment. And there's a, in a plexiglass case, there's a smashed up guitar. And if you recall, Tom Cruise is a very wealthy guy or something in the movie. And so she walks into the apartment and she looks around and she sees the smashed up guitar and plexiglass case. And she goes, oh, so this is what has become of rock and roll. A smashed up guitar in a rich guy's apartment. <laughs> That's a really good Penelope Cruz. That was really good. <laughs> rock and roll man smashing guitars rock is roll. rock and roll but this but yes. this is this is this is the thing this is i'm so surprised that we haven't brought this last fact up at the 1998 grammy awards while dylan was performing lovesick experimental performance artist michael portnoy who had been one of several hired background dancers ripped his shirt off revealing the words soy bomb painted on his chest and stomach and ran up to dance like a spastic robot right next to a confused and unfazed Bob. You look confused right now. Have you not seen this? I have not, but I am Googling here, it the minute here. we no, get No, no, off. no, no, no. Show it. We got it. We got the clip pulled up. Here, go ahead. You don't remember this? Just like, look poor at Bob look at Dylan. poor Bob Dylan. <laughs> He's just... How do you wait? Are you serious? That's so disturbing. <laughs> oh my god! You don't you don't remember Soy Bomb? No. Oh my goodness! I I I that was when I saw this record was coming up. I was like, wait, was this the Soy Bomb? So record? who was that guy, was, and what did he do? He was just some he was some performance artist that was hired to be one of the because you see all those people on the background kind of dancing. So yeah, he was. Wait, Bob Dylan did not know that he was going to be doing. He had that? no idea. I can't believe you don't remember this. But that really? guy was legitimately there. He wasn't like a streaker. No, he, that was like the that was his version of streaking in a sense. Was that he was trying to like raise? Sorry, here you go, here you go. So poor time. <laughs> I love this so much that I'm explaining soy bomb to you. I figured you would have been like, ah, oh, dude, you know, fucking soy bomb guy. That guy. No. So all right, so. Portnoy ripped off his shirt, ran next to Dylan, and started dancing and contorting spastically with the two-word po poem, Soy Bomb. Portnoy explained the poem, poem's meaning. Soy represents dense nutritional life. Bomb is, obviously, an explosive, destructive force. So Soy Bomb is what I think art should be. Dense, transformational, I'm, I'm not, transformational well, you know what the word, explosive life, 
according to Entertainment Weekly, that he meant soy bomb as a spontaneous explosion of the self to reinvigorate the current music scene. Um, the Grammy chose not to press charges against him. Uh, he did, uh, but he wasn't paid the $200 fee for the gig. Wait, I thought you said that he was supposed to be there. He was so, yes. Yeah, so, so look at the clip. See all those people in the background? That's, yeah. they all got paid $200 to be back there kind of like grooving. And then he ran out and pulled off his shirt and did this. Soy bomb. What a, what a jerk. He's a jerk. <laughs> He's a jerk, but I mean, but I, but also that kind of moment, like Bob never, he doesn't flinch. He does his thing. You know, the song sounds incredible. So definitely check out the clip. Okay. Um, I'm definitely listening to that so later. I wanted to ask you this being that, that Bob had an embarrassing moment. What's your most embarrassing moment on stage or on set? Whatever story you have better. Uh, very early on, I might've been 23 years old. Uh, I did a play called Vanities and one of the actresses that I was that produced the play. And she was also in the play, Martha Smith. uh, She was married to Noel Blank, whose dad, Mel Blank did all the voices for like, you know, everybody bugs, bunny and everything. Tweety bird, you name it. And, uh, they were coming to see the play and they brought Kirk Douglas with them that night. And that night when I was performing a piece of dust or something got in my throat and I could not stop coughing. Like it was like caught in there. Dust throat. Yeah. I've had it. (laughs) I literally did not know what to do. And I (laughs) said, unscripted I'm going to the ladies room and you guys just talk amongst yourselves or something like that and I left stage got water and came back and I I, I just it was so embarrassing Kirk Douglas was there and Spartacus you know, probably thought, Spartacus loved it oh yeah no Spartacus I don't know it was embarrassing though that's so great uh Rita this has been so much fun uh you are just so fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's really been a great time. I can't wait to hear the show when it's all done. What did I tell you guys? What did I tell you? The one and only Rita Wilson. Find all things Rita on her website, RitaWilson.com, and find her on all social media at Rita Wilson. Also, guys, while Rita was in quarantine, I guess if you remember, she posted that clip of her rapping to Naughty by Nature's Hip Hop Hooray. Well, Vin Rock of Naughty by Nature noticed the clip, and the band combined forces with Rita to make an official remix of the song with proceeds going to the Music Cares COVID-19 Relief Fund. You can find that on her website, but also check out her new single, Where's My Country Song. You can find it on Spotify. You can buy it on Apple. Also check out her new song, Everybody Cries, from the 2020 war drama called The Outpost. Guys, get into Rita's music. It is incredible. When we talked about the Chris Cornell song, you gotta listen to it now. We just listened to Bob Dylan from 1997. This week, our new music pick is Riley Catherall. 
Riley is a singer-songwriter from Melbourne, Australia, who people say is a cross between Bob Dylan and Jason Isbell. Check out the newest single, Leave Me Out to Dry. You're listening to it right now in the background, and you can also find the links to the music on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you were in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured at the end of the 500, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Doors Week as we go deep into their 1967 sophomore album, Strange Days. You've got some homework to do. Listen on your favorite platform. Stay fleecy. Dougal, Dougal. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. 
So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Next Chapter Podcasts.